every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this start grow. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Here at Rosie on the House, the outdoor living hour, third Saturday of the month. So we've got Jay Harper in studio, notes for the nursery. And I missed this when we published our 2021 home maintenance calendar. If you're following along, tuning in for winter lawn planting, we're really not going to repeat much of that. We'll, We'll touch on it briefly because last week, Talking Trees was in and their to do was overseeding lawns. And I thought their topic and their point of that, they like to get in and do their tree trimming before lawns get overseeded so they don't mess it up. And I thought that's what they're going to be talking about. Yeah. <coughs> I didn't realize Save a Tree has added overseeding as a service. Oh. So they were talking. Right. We, we had a very technical uh, broadcast last week about overseeding. They brought in Dave Jernigan from the Gardener's Touch. And uh, if you are tuning in for that, I would just direct you to the podcast of last week because it is a hour packed of very technical, by the book, how to overseed lawn. But uh, for anybody that didn't tune in last week and did want to talk winter lawn planting, let's spend five minutes touching on it. And going back to your first statement, that is a good suggestion. If you've got trimming or other kind of major heavy projects that you're wanting to do that your winter lawn might be between the disposal of that material and where you're going to be taking it off. In other words, foot traffic across that area needs to cease and desist once you put the seed down. So, you know, schedule your projects accordingly. You do have still plenty of time to overseed. So if you've got to do a major construction project or a Something that that uh, warrants you uh, walking across that area a whole bunch, you know. Let's let's get that out of the way first, or wait till well after uh, the the lawn is established uh, before you start putting traffic back on that lawn. So, good point. You know, um, I think one of the topics that came up in that conversation last week about overseeding was the supply and the cost of the ryegrass seed this year uh, for for various reasons. <laughs> Just like everything else, it seems like we buy regularly. Uh, price it's, has shorter, gone up. it's shorter in supply and the price is higher. Um, now that being said, for the average lawn, you know, let's say let's say a two thousand square foot lawn that you need, you know, twenty five to forty pounds of seed to do, you know, if the price doubled, it's still not, you know, I don't think that makes or breaks your decision. Uh, you know, you see, so you're still not talking exorbitant dollars, right? No, I, a uh, 50 pound sack I bought was like 160 bucks. Yeah. So instead of 95 or 99 bucks or 110 bucks in the last few years, it was so. You know, for an extra 60 or 70 bucks is what it's going to cost you. And you chalk that up. How many days of lawn are you going to well, get Well, it's when your it's lawn done? most of the year. I mean, it comes out to like an extra 
half a penny a day or yeah, something it, over the course so the, of time. So the winter lawn, and you want to do a nice winter lawn because it really technically, so from, let's just forget it, October. It's in November, December, January, February, March, April, and maybe into May. It's seven months. Uh, uh, so it's your lawn is your winter lawn half the year. Over over half the year, so you want to make sure you're doing a nice job. Buy good seed, buy good a blend of good perennial uh, ryegrass seed, and and do the job accordingly. Don't skimp on the seed. Put enough seed down, you know, ten to twenty pounds per thousand square feet is generally the recommended rate. Um, so so do a nice job. But let's just say you've got half an acre lawn. You know, now that price decision might be <laughs> a little different. That Anyway, that being the case, you know, if you've been kind of on the fence with the winter lawn thing the last few years, maybe this is the year you need to evaluate how much turf you have. You know, we are, um, you know, fortunately, the Salt River Project lakes, our lakes, our local lakes are pretty darn good shape, pretty close to full. Um but I'm sure everybody's Colorado read about the River Colorado Lakes, River not quite. system and, and what might be coming forth with water supplies and potential, uh, you know, shortages slash rationing slash management of that water supply. Maybe this is a good year with the price and the availability of rye seed. And that might be the other problem. You may not be able to find it. From <laughs> what I understand, ryegrass rye seed is very difficult to find. Those that didn't make commitments to buy it. May or may not be able to get it. I don't know. Um, I have a I have a some seed reserved. <laughs> I have a few few contacts yet. Uh, but uh, uh, that being the case, you know I'm down to under 500 square feet of lawn. You know my back is now or my my front is uh, artificial turf and more uh, mulch and planting areas. And my back I shrunk down to way more planting areas. Uh, and so I have a very small area that I do, you know, it's easy to maintain, doesn't take a lot of water. So that just might be something to, as a tip is just like we do this time with the landscape shrubs, great time to evaluate all of your landscape. Hey, that didn't make it through the summer very good. That the last few summers, that particular plant has looked like crud by the time we got through summer. Maybe it's time to reevaluate what that particular plant is in that spot. And this is a great time to plant more than just winter lawns. It's the best time to plant almost anything. And when we're talking planting anything and reevaluating and water conservation, you know, it, it's always overwhelming, but very enjoyable to just find a, a xeriscape garden somewhere, whether you're walking through the desert botanical gardens. Um, there's some nurseries that specialize in arid uh, landscapes that you could schedule a time to walk through or going through a nursery and finding something that you can replace and convert and not lose any of your plant material, but go to something that's more drought tolerant. Sure. Arid adapted, you know, what, drought tolerant may not be the right word, but, you know, desert based, native. Great time to, you know, just drive, drive neighborhoods. You know, if there's, you know, with as much remodeling and construction and new landscaping and, you know, new modern-looking landscaping. Even I, you know, you called, you got hung up on your way here this morning. So I just drove this. I hadn't driven through this neighborhood in a long time. 
you know, there's some pretty cool redos that have happened up and down this street. Uh, you know, it's what a 50 year old neighborhood now, probably. Sixties. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's kind of neat to see, and and you know, boom, I got some ideas. You know, I'm getting ready to do some stuff. So. You know, it's a great that. Look at your neighborhood. Go drove. Go drive the new the new areas of town because they're all low water use, uh, arid adapted stuff going in in these new uh, subdivisions and master plan communities. Go out and see what they're putting in. See what looks a lot of new new plant material out there compared to what you had in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. And you don't lose a lot in color. And you know, a lot of people think that you. you you lose your green or your colors if you go native, and that's well, actually more colorful. Technically, you know, I mean, there's a lot more color um, than than people think, and it's actually most of it is more colorful than some of the just basic green shrubs that we planted. Just kind of they're green, you know, natal plum and boxwood and junipers and things like that that didn't bloom at all. So it actually is really uh, more colorful. But you need to know how to use it and where to use it and how to space it and, you know, how big stuff gets. So, you know, go around and get some ideas. And there's, you know, there's some great material online. AMWA, um, the uh, Municipal Water Users Association, has some great online stuff. Uh, nurseries have pamphlets and handouts and and can show you the plants. So I think it's a, it's a great – this is a great time to evaluate, redo, look at what's out there because it's such a great time to plant. Yeah. And who doesn't want to get outside and do a little yard work now, you know? Oh, just to have the joy of being outside and working in the soil, even if you're not planting anything, just yeah. just to be out. It has been such a nice uh, transition. We, we, have had, we have had the most, I think, you know, knock on this table's wood, right? I'm knocking. <laughs> it. So, so, uh, so we've had, uh, you know, the summer was with all the monsoon rain and, Cloudy days. It was a pretty tolerable summer as summers go. Um, and we, boy, from about the middle of September, we started having some fall cool nights and some cooler days. And golly, it's just we haven't had a, I don't think, a, a fall, traditional fall like this in a long time. Long time. So, I, you know, we joke about Halloween. You know, Halloween. You can be. You might be in shorts. You might be in a jacket. You know. You know. <laughs> the last few years, it's been kind of in shorts. You know, it's still been hot, clear into November. That certainly doesn't look like it's going to be the case. Uh, I think Saturday it's going to be up to maybe ninety, and then it looks like it's going to tail back off again. Boy, this is it'll awesome. It'll do that a few times going into the fall. Always oh, has like a yeah. cool off, and then it little heat wave come back but looking at the lefo meter the flagstaff has changed from yellow to kind of mustard so we're getting real close to the the red auburn you can go on and select different areas if you want to look at oak creek canyon is always a little bit ahead of flagstaff as it's lower in elevation and schedule a time flagstaff you've got dusted with a little snow this week Mm-hmm. It yep. is, it is fall time. It is planting time, and uh, even though a lot of those you know leaves are and those trees are going deciduous, you know we're going to talk a little bit later in the break. The, you know this is our our fall garden time. It's perfect to get our planting beds ready, our seeds in the ground, or pick up a. a this is our spring. Started. Yeah, this is our spring. Really, yeah. <laughs> if and, and on the desert floor, it's it is springtime, and 
We're uh, happy you're joining us. It's Rosie on the House with you every Saturday morning. 8 o'clock is our outdoor living hour, and we've got Jay Harper in studio with us this Saturday morning. Interesting story this week from California as Gavin Newsom continues his effort to be the governor responsible for Arizona State's population growth. I mean, I, he, he's really on a mission to drive Arizona's population. Put him on the payroll. <laughs> Signed a bill that bans gas-powered lawn equipment, prohibits the sale by January 1st, 2024. You'll no longer be able to sell gas-powered uh, lawnmowers, trimmers, and even place to some smaller motorcycles and engines and generators. And interesting thing here, because I actually this week bought my first battery-operated weed eater. My reasons for going to battery where we live, it's about a 25-minute round trip to the gas station and back. And you only use the weed eater three, four times a year. You know, it's a two-stroke. You come back and it's mixed up, it's gummed up. You spend a half hour just getting it started and cleaning off the carburetor and getting the spark plug done. Right. I thought, you know, the reports and the word that, you know, steel and their battery operated ones, you know, were just as good as a gas one. I, I was always afraid I would lose like horsepower, the torque. But uh, the reports, and I haven't tried it yet, but I've got the. Well, oh, I think you'll like charging. it. I, I'm, I think I'm you'll excited like it. to get home this weekend and start. I've got the string trimmer, I got the leaf blower, and I have a hedge trimmer now. And uh, I understand the chainsaws are are fabulous. Um, you know, you do need some extra batteries. Um, you know, depending on how much you're using it, but uh, it, I have had no complaints. Now I don't have a very big lawn, but you know, I mean, the 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 challenge with this bill and this is is going to be on the commercial side. I mean, if you're if you're mowing a HOA, home, <laughs> homeowners association or a golf course, what are the golf courses going to do? Um so I don't know if there's exceptions for that in in those bills or or there's going to be a lot of guys trying to keep a lot of old equipment running. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to see a resurgence in the the small engine mechanics. Yeah. Um you know that that to me is more the issue. The homeowner, you know, the average size lawn, especially in California, you know, at least in Southern California, you could, you know, you could mow with a push mower most of them. So, well, people might get more exercise. I don't know. I, I but well, it, when, it's hard for me to believe that if it's an air quality thing that they they can't put. You know, if we're making automobiles that are more efficient and clean burning, that they can't make a small engine. You know, clean burning. You know, well, in the so. small engines, you run a fraction of the time you're on your car too. You know, and and how all long the does it take you to mow your lawn. <laughs> so the outboard motor industry, the boat outboard motor industry, have all gone to four stroke. I mean, I don't even know if they make a two stroke anymore, other than maybe the really, really little ones. It's all four stroke. You know, so it's all quieter, cleaner. Uh, so I, I seems to me there's there's other ways to go about that, but. I can tell you this, it'll be nicer to sit on my patio at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning and drink coffee and not hear the blowers and the, <laughs> the weed eaters going off in the neighborhood. But uh, when, yeah. they, when they came out with the battery that worked for the lawnmower and the weed eater, I started really looking. I'm like, all right, give it a year or two, let the second or third generation come out. And 
because uh, that'll be the next one. I've got the weed eater now, mm-hmm. um, and then in a couple of weeks, as my uh, ryegrass comes up and I'm ready to mow, look at going and getting the electric battery uh, mower, and then, like you said, it, it'll also the same battery will work on a chainsaw, yep. a hedge trimmer. There's about five different power tools that can all go, and just to not have. Like I said, those, that mess of cans and how old is this gas and what do you do now with this? So you don't and you just pour dump it two, out. two stroke gas into your four stroke <laughs> engine and you know yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and despite my labeling with the kids, no, if there's two pieces of tape, that means it's two stroke oil mix. But you know, yeah. when they're trying to find gas for their quad, you think they think about that or care? Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> they just want to get on the quad and go for a ride in the desert. So right. it'll. Uh, I'm excited. This is the first first transition i didn't think i would ever be excited about a battery operated lawn equipment but you know those uh we've been using battery operated tools in construction for cordless drills i mean my and... i don't ever remember not having an 18 volt dewalt i mean i've still got the one i bought 20 years ago now yeah. i have a newer one smaller one that's got a smaller battery but a higher voltage and lighter yeah, weight so it's and, lighter and it's yeah. it's more powerful but that old one, I'm, it still works. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why my I was so. So hesitant. I here's I I, I was I have a, f- a f- flat roof. So every once in a while I take my blower up on the roof, which really makes the cordless one nice because you don't have an extension cord up on Trip your roof. On. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I coming down, I set it down. So I set it down so I can get on the ladder, and then I grab it after I'm. I've listened to Rosie's lecture about <laughs> ladders and injuries on ladders. Yeah. So, but as I was uh, kicking my leg around to get on the ladder, I kicked the blower off the roof, Oops. and it landed um, on the course on the didn't land in the grass. It landed on the concrete. Oh, of course. And um, I tell you what, all it broke was the little um, keeper that that keeps the battery in place that's the only thing that broke it was about a five dollar fix back up and back up again. and running wow yeah. in fact it still worked i had to use duct tape <laughs> and duct tape the battery in for See, for till i until i had a chance to get it over to scotty's and get that little part and that was easy I, I just i did it myself i bought the little part and put it in and you never could have duct taped the carburetor back on no uh, no no so I'm all I'm all about them. I think they're great. Get organized with the Rosie on the House home maintenance app, powered by Homesada. Think about all the digital records about your house, mortgage information, your insurance policy, your home inventory, your maintenance schedule, and store all that information about your house in one place. Turn that into a proactive way to remind you of all the things because we're busy with other aspects of our lives. Have a history of your home at your fingertips. Get started at rosieonthehouse.com forward slash app. The future of home ownership, having it all digital in one place. In the garden with Jay Harper here at Rosie on the house. Let's get to actual gardening, eating gardening, not just lawns and hedges and stuff, but uh, fall, you'd mentioned planting time, winter vegetables. This is a great time to get your beds ready and stick some seeds in the ground. We can can do direct seeding in the ground. We can plant already started 
transplants, um, you know, what what you're planting this time of year. Uh, we've mentioned before it's it's anything you would probably eat the root, the leaf, or maybe a modified flower or stem of. So, you know, quickly, root, you know, carrots, beets, radishes, turnips, um, lettuce, spinach, chard, uh, and then cauliflower, cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Um, I only did it one year, but we had a very successful sweet potato uh, harvest one year. And it was even just – it wasn't even from seed. It was just you, a potato that had kind of started to root out yeah. in the pantry. And I'm like, what the heck? Just stick it in the ground. Let's see what happens. And, man, yeah, we So had- sweet potato is a little different. Uh, yeah, although it is a quote-unquote technically root crop, you would plant those in the spring and then you harvest them in the fall mm-hmm. or early winter. Um, I guess that's right because we were we were picking them up for Thanksgiving uh, yeah. sweet potato meal. Yeah. That's right. And you usually start either – you know, you can make slips for sweet potatoes off of an old sweet potato and you just kind of plant them in some loose soil. And as they start to sprout, then you can take those and plant them in the ground. And and they, they do very well here. They love the heat. Um, you see a lot of the ornamental sweet potato in the landscape all summer. They're real – lime green leafed plant and the real dark purple leafed plant have become very popular as for summer color because they're so darn heat tolerant and they love the heat so and sweet edible sweet potatoes the same way they they absolutely love the heat they take up a lot of room (laughs) so which isn't all bad in the summer it's a great cover crop you know it can cover your you know you get into late summer vegetable gardens they're not so productive anyway why not have something that's kind of a pretty green ground cover, keeps the weeds down, covers the space. They do well here. So, But those you would be harvesting usually about Thanksgiving time. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, so that's a fun thing to do for the summer. And so let me redirect us back to the fall. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. So yeah. carrots and beets and turnips, those kind of roots. Um do very well here all winter. And the nice thing about our winter lawn, winter lawn, winter garden is that it's a very long season. So from mid-September to maybe even into April or early May, depending on the, the weather. So you can plant multiple crops of things. You know, sometimes the complaint about a garden is you get too much at one time. You know, how do I use all this lettuce, you know, or whatever. But so you could plant a little bit. Wait a few weeks, plant another, you know, do do multi-cropping of things spread out over the season so you don't have, you know, too much spinach. Plus, you know, you do have a room equation there. Not everybody's got a, a big enough garden to grow everything all at once. So, you know, you can you can stage and rotate and stagger some things in there so you can have a little variety. Um, you know, that, that you might otherwise not. So think about doing that. Um, and then plant what you like to eat. <laughs> Just because it's time to plant kale, and it's very popular with people, if you don't like it, don't plant it. <laughs> there, I said it. Kale. <laughs> I get forced to eat kale once in a while, and it's, you know. 
chalky. I gotta, tolerate it. Know, it's very chalky. I tolerate it. Enough ranch will take care of anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it, uh, I will say one thing about it. In things like soup or, or stews, it does stay kind of crisp, so it's not bad that way. But in a salad, um, yeah, no thanks. No thanks. So planting and growing and gardening, you know, you were talking earlier about driving around and getting ideas and inspiration. With the amount of hardscapes that are available <clears> now, you know, break out of the thought process of garden has to be in the ground in right. a row in a rectangle. You know, you can have gardening as a architectural feature in your landscape. Oh, absolutely. I mean, with, uh, you know, you can build them out a really nice, you know, stack stone planters or wall stone from the various companies like Belgard. And, you, you know, what What I've kind of have started liking, I've got one I'm going to add some more, are the uh, the metal uh, water troughs, horse livestock mm-hmm. troughs um, that I think is kind of a cool look, depending on your look and, and that sort of thing. And you can get planters. them as a, kind of like a rectangle-shaped with round ends, so it's kind of like a, a long oval, there's I guess. ovals, there's circles, there's, I've seen triangular ones. Um, you can get them tall. You can get Different them, heights, so gosh. you can vary the height. So that's, a, like I said, it's architectural, very pleasing to the eye. And, you know, as we, as we get a little older, it's nice to not have to get down on your hands and knees and, you know, stay a little more upright when you're gardening. And if you were going to take an old galvanized stock tank and do that, or a brand new one, uh, doesn't have to be an old one, right? You would have to draw drill a few holes in it first, right? Let's talk about the proper prep work inside a right. Container. So they typically come with a drain hole um, somewhere along the bottom on one of the edges, which might suffice um, for drainage. You could draw some holes. My understanding is now, and I haven't. I haven't seen one, but they actually, because they've become so popular as planters, they're making them without bottoms in them. Oh. <laughs> um, so that you can just literally set it on the ground. Especially um, with the cost of metal these because days. Because the bottoms will eventually rust out anyway on the other ones, has been my experience. But So drill some holes. Make sure you've got good drainage. And then, you know, they're so deep, you don't need to go buy good, expensive potting soil to fill that whole thing. Put a little gravel or rock at the bottom several inches of that, you know, and, and build it up that way so that, you know, maybe you only have six to eight to 10, maybe 12 inches of good potting soil when you're all done at the top. So, yeah. So drainage is, is a key on those. And you could do it where, you know, if you had a little bit of, ele- of an elevation, you could do a taller one and then a smaller one stacked on top of it and kind of have like oh, a dimensional. In, in right inside each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do two big ones mm-hmm. together and then a smaller one that kind of goes over the two top one and make it kind of like a tiered pyramid. That'd be kind of cool. You know, yeah. have on the topper ones, you could have your uh, vegetables that are more like vine or weeping. Uh, they kind of cascade down and... No, the, there's something else called companion planting that I haven't done a lot of uh, research into, but there's a lot of people that will take it very seriously. Like if you plant uh, this vegetable, plant that vegetable because mm-hmm. of the nitrogen and uh, this plant helps that one and it just makes the two of them stronger together. 
Yeah, and then just, you know, if you're planting in any kind of raised box, planter, confined area, you know, you need to, to take into account the growth pattern and the growth habit of those plants. If it's something that is going to trail, well, put it on the edge and let it just spill over the edge so it doesn't take up all of your room on the inside. So, yeah, it, it, you know, you need, do need to, you can put trellises on the backside and, and trellis things like melons and um, cucumbers and squash, uh, not squash, but cucumbers and melons. Uh, and actually put them up on a trellis so they don't take up room. And that adds some interest, kind of a backdrop to the to the garden to have a kind of a really cool maybe wrought iron or metal trellis on the back of that. So a lot and, of options. And it cuts down on your need for having uh, like a, a barrier against rabbits and dogs. And um, obviously that cats can still jump up in there and you got to handle that differently. But you, you don't need quite the plant prison from – ground squirrels and and rabbits getting in it yep just the birds though you know so (laughs) there's always them but yeah it it does gets things up off the ground so that the you know some of those critters aren't quite as uh able to take advantage of your garden so birds aside that's a a different tactic it is it and it can get a little difficult to, to manage but yeah and sometimes you can grow enough so you got a little bit that they they got to eat too right bird, you know yeah, exactly. <laughs> save a little for the birds right what kind of insects are common that people if they're just coming over to arizona from california or they move from the midwest what kind of insects can they be expected to be combating well this time of year fall is is when we see a lot of caterpillar activity and especially this fall, this summer, we've seen it all summer. If people have seen the amount of little butterflies and moths with all the rain in the desert and and the and the the foliage for them to feed on, we've had a pretty extraordinary uh, population <laughs> explosion of of caterpillars. So, especially on leafy green things, uh, if you're growing flowers in your garden, they love geraniums. Um, so just be watching for. For little, and they're hard to find. I mean, they're green. They can be teeny, uh, and still do a lot of damage. So, caterpillars be the one big thing through the fall and in early winter months. We don't see. That's the other nice thing about gardening this time of year is that the the uh, insect or bug activity is typically a lot lower than it is in the spring and summer. So there's a bonus. Natural. Natural so, cycle. Of so, things. if you see butterflies or moths, you've you've got caterpillars somewhere. Um, so, just be watching for those. And you said the little ones take damage. It's it's amazing how big they can get, and you still don't see them. Oh yeah. I mean, you're out out be- very well camouflaged. <laughs> yeah, that's their that's their self defense. If they were easy to see, they'd be uh, they'd be gone. The birds would have them all picked off for you. But um, and the nice thing about caterpillar control is there's some really very effective very safe controls for that other than picking them off if you can find them um bacillus thuringiensis bt dipel all all kind of names for the same it's biological control if you're not a a caterpillar that goes through metamorphic stages it's it's not going to affect you a bit um uh, and then and then spinosad is another good one that's a that's an organic uh, approved insecticide that works very well on 
caterpillars as well. So, and these are ingredients. So if somebody's going to a garden nursery center to ask for it, it's they're not going to give you spinosad. So spinosad it's, might be under active ingredient under a brand name. Uh, uh, you know, from Bonide might call it something, or Fertilone might call it something. It's probably not going to be called Spinosad, <laughs> so you'll you'll have to ask for that. And and I've seen so BT can be called BT, it can be called Thuricide, it can be called Dipel, a bunch of different things. So go in, tell them you got caterpillars and you want something safe to use. They'll fix you up. They got plenty of options available. We've got one segment left here in the garden with Jay Harper here at Rosie on the house. Well, if you think you love this weather, what do you think the plants are acting like? Well, that, uh, Jay, you know, you've always said... There's been a big collective sigh of relief, if you could hear <laughs> it, from the plant world. The, the colors are a little different. The, uh, the, the scytherism, it sounds a little different. That's the sound of wind through the leaves. Is what now? Scytherism. Can you spell it? No. <laughs> no, we actually, with uh, John Eisenhower from Talking Trees taught us that. We actually uh, begin with the letter P. P, it that does. really throws you off. Oh, yeah. Silent P. But I'll take your word for it. Just the, the enjoyment of the outdoors. And we've got a, a hammock right underneath our mulberry tree that nobody's been in for months. Yeah. And it's like, we're all fighting over it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, what you know, it, what makes it such a great time of year to be outside, obviously, if you're comfortable, you know, we used to tell people, because people get cabin fever, they want to get out and do something in their yard. I said, well, you know, when it, when it finally feels comfortable to you to be outside, that's a great time to plant. The, the combination of the cool, cooler ambient air temperatures and the soil, which has stayed relatively warm, makes fall planting here, you know, just a perfect combination. Um, the roots are going to experience warmth. So when you plant a plant, it has to root, you know, out of its container that it came in and establish a root system before it can really put on any new growth. So it's able to do that, yet at the same time, the air is cool enough that the plant isn't just transpiring moisture so rapidly. You're having to keep pumping the water to it and hope you don't forget or it gets stressed out because it's losing moisture faster than you can resupply it. That's not the case. So, so we don't we don't have stress to the to the plant system because of you know moisture loss so quickly. The roots are are you know like a little incubator in that warm soil and they're rooting um and so it's just you don't have to be that concerned about you know making sure it's getting watered all the time and uh, the, then the benefit down the road of that is comes spring so february march when the air temperatures start to warm back up and the soil temperatures follow that again back up that plant is almost like it's been in the ground a year instead of four or five months and you, you just get an explosion of growth uh, in the spring rather than, you know, planting in the spring and hope you're going to keep it alive through the summer. So great time to plant. Like I said, just about anything. The only things you might want to start being concerned about as we get a little later into the fall season would be tropical or subtropicals that might be at risk for freezing. Uh, hibiscus, bougainvillea. 
you know, those types of things that, you know, could have some, if they're not well established and they freeze, it could cause, you know, some issues maybe having to replace them. So kind of watch those. Other than that, it's time. And, you know, we talked about fall color, driving around to see fall color. You know, this is if you're planting, want to plant trees and have some fall color, there's some options for those, the the red push pistache, uh, some of the flowering pears, uh, some of the ash trees that do relatively well here. So, so there's some great options for you. Um, and, and there's some plants that just do change color that don't go deciduous. Uh, hop seed, the purple hop seed, nandina, and some of those that get some nice fall color to them as well. So, you know, think about that aspect of your landscape as opposed to, you know, yeah, it flowers, it's green, but how about some fall color? And certainly deciduous trees have a great place in the landscape. So if you if you want some ambient warming as they lose their leaves, so maybe the the south or west side of things to where, yeah, it'd be a good idea if that wasn't shady all winter long. You know, if we had some air, uh, some sun coming through there uh, in the wintertime to warm that wall or that garden area that could use some sun. So there's, you know... Uh, there for a while, people didn't want deciduous trees. They didn't want things that lost their leaves. Does it stay green year-round? Well, yeah, well, you know what? That green year-round tree, that evergreen tree, still loses all of those leaves over the course of the year. It replaces pretty much every leaf on that tree. It, it just, just doesn't, doesn't do it all at the same it time. It just does it a little at a time. So you could possibly be cleaning up and raking leaves year-round instead of maybe over a three- or four-week period. And I know— when they start leafing out in the spring, you know, that kind of indicates summer's coming and it's kind of a bittersweet kind of yeah, But yeah. I really do enjoy the spring bloom on the deciduous trees and the amount of bees that come around the property. You know, you'll, you'll walk by the ash tree and you, you, you'll know that it's blooming because just by the sound of it. You hear them. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. So, yeah, you, get, you do get a little, even though we don't have great differentiation of seasons here it does give you a little bit of a feel of that it it does it we it it's a small season change but it's it's still a seasonal change yes sir and is there any kind of fertilizing for deciduous trees that we should be doing now or because they're all going dormant just do your fall trimming well august and september what it was a great you know we talk about labor day feeding uh, as we're getting later into the winter as soil temperatures go down you know the fertilizers just aren't that effective typically. So we do talk sometimes about winter feeding, a higher phosphorus potash type fertilizer as opposed to much nitrogen. You don't want to push a lot of growth and it may not push a lot of growth as we get into this time of year anyway. So it's fall. Get out and visit your local nursery, drive around, find a a plant, get some kind of inspiration and bring it home, put it in the ground and make it part of your home. There you go. Jay Harper, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. Always fun. Appreciate it.